All right, our statement of faith. This is my Bible. It is the word of truth. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can. I'm a believer and not a doubter. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I am humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I am mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. It says, therefore, you shall be perfect. Somebody say perfect. Just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Amen? Well, you may be seated. You may be seated. Today we're going to look at our second sermon in in this series that we've entitled In Pursuit of Perfection. And I said that uh, when you pursue something, it means to follow after in order to overtake, to chase. And then the other definition says to strive for. And when you're striving for something, that is the aim of the goal. So it says to strive for. Perfection, from a biblical viewpoint, is to be complete and mature in various applications of labor, growth, mental, and moral character. It is to be blameless. We saw a lot of that last week. We'll see a little bit more of that this week. And to end up right. And it is to be complete in integrity. Somebody say integrity. We're going to look at that today. To be complete in integrity. In other words, where we are whole and undivided and completely devoted to God, serving him with complete uh, and sincere loyalty uh, from, a, from a pure heart. It also means to have reached an end. In other words, when we say that we are completely grown or, or something is completed or we are full. In other words, so our goal and our aim is to strive to be fully grown and complete in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, we said this, as Christians, perfection is the ideal and the aim where we strive to grow, mature, and become complete. Now, we realize that absolute perfection, somebody say absolute perfection. It says that we realize that absolute perfection is beyond any human being, but we strive for it. It's the goal of the Christian life. In this life, we cannot be completely flawless but we can aspire to be as much like Jesus as possible. Amen? Now, now what that lets us know, that, and that lets me know that when we error or make a mistake, that is not the time to say, I'm not perfect, I'm only human. God already know that. The world already know that. So when we make a mistake, it's time for us to confess and repent. Because that's God's formula, not to, not to justify saying I'm only human. I'm not perfect. Well, we're not, but we're shooting for it. That's the aim. That's the goal. So therefore, when I make a mistake, I just tell God I'm sorry from a broken heart and a contrite spirit and believe that he will in no wise turn away from me. Because God already knows you're going to make mistakes. Amen. Ever since Adam messed up in the garden, man has been making mistakes. Every man that is born of a woman is born in sin, conceived in sin. So therefore, God knows we're going to make a mistake, but he still expects us to strive or to pursue perfection. 
I said, as Christians, we start out weak and untrained, but as we grow uh, in Jesus, we get XP, we get points, we get experience points that take us to another level in our pursuit to be like him. And I said, you know, since we've been saved, you know, some of us, we've got enough points because we don't spend enough time in church worshiping God. We don't spend enough time studying God's word. We spend time in prayer, meditation, serving God and his people. We got enough time built up so that we ought to be continuing our pursuit of perfection. In other words, he said, now, when I understand this and I understand that I have these things built up, then that allows me to believe that I can continue this process because perfection is a process. And so therefore, if it's a process, it is ongoing. And so therefore, what I want to do is always be moving toward that goal, moving toward that, that aim, so that as I do that, I continue to grow, even though I make mistakes along the way. So in other words, we have to level up. We've got to go to the next level. You know, now because of sin in the world, as a result of Adam, Christians will only realize absolute perfection in heaven. But the exhortation in Scripture encourages us to continue to strive for or pursue perfection in this life. Jesus expects his disciples to excel. I said this last week. He expects us to rise above mediocrity. And so I guess if we was all shooting to be mediocre, mediocre, then I guess people wouldn't have no problem with you. But when you say you're shooting for something higher, people will find fault in you. And everybody that God used in the Bible had flaws. They had faults. But God looked past those faults for them to be used to serve his purpose. So God know you got flaws. God know you got faults. But what he's saying to us is that once we get into that relationship with him, and we try to live in accordance with his word, then we're going to be pursuing something better than mediocrity. I guess if we were going to just be average and subpar Christian, nobody would have a problem with you. But the minute you try to go to another level in the Lord, folk want to label you. You're trying to be too holy. You're trying to be too righteous. Well, he said be holy because... So ain't not what you're trying to shoot for holy. Why shoot for unholy? I mean, we started there. We can hit that mark without trying. We need to be shooting for something that's higher than unholy. And so therefore, when you're doing those things, and you realize that God expects us, and Jesus expects us, to, to be above average, man. He don't want us to be inferior Christians. But he expects us to strive to live blameless and mature lives as we journey through this earth. Now, last week we looked at Noah. We saw that Noah was considered to be a perfect man and blameless in his generation because he walked in close relationship and fellowship with God. We saw that when God made his covenant with Abraham, he set the bar high. He commanded him to walk before him blameless. And then we closed when God gave Israel instruction before they entered into the promised land a land that was filled with uh, pagan worship and occult practices. God did not lower the bar. Say, I know I'm sitting here over there with all them bad folk. And I understand. 
that you know you're around enough bad folk. I understand. You may just pick up some of their practices. He said, no, I'm sending you over there and I'm expecting you to live blameless before me because you need to be an example for them bad folk. Them bad folks ain't supposed to be your example. You're supposed to be their example. Now, if you make a mistake over there amongst them bad folk, just repent, say you're sorry, and come on back and get it right. So a lot of time, I think when we come to the Lord, we want God to lower the bar and lower his standards. Then when he starts lowering his standards, it's no longer a godly or righteous standard. It's a worldly standard. So I don't have no problem with us starting at the base, but we got to be shooting for the ceiling. The floor is not the goal. Amen. And so I said, if, if you're shooting for the ceiling and you hit that little bulb light up there on the way up there, you're going in the right direction. I would rather make a mistake going up than make a mistake going down. Amen. I believe God can accept that when we make a mistake. Even sometimes when our children make a mistake, you like to see them make a mistake trying than to make a mistake and they ain't doing nothing. Let me move on to integrity. Now today we're going to see that integrity plays a, a key role in our pursuit of perfection. God expects us to be holy, loyal, and committed to him in good times, in bad times, and in all places, whether public or private. Amen? I say God expects us to be loyal and committed to him in good times, bad times, in all places, whether you're in public or you're in private. Amen. See, I believe if, well, I said I wasn't going to mess with him. But I, I'm going to go to Job. Let me mess with Job right now. Let's go to Job, the book of Job. See, sometimes we got to realize the thing we do in private must be scrutinized also. We just can't act right while we out in public. We ought to act right while we're in private. And so now, today when we take the look at this integrity, I want to start out with Job. Job's story reveals to us, in, and this is in chapter 2, but I'm going to read verse 1 through 10, reveals to us that we have to do all that we can to continue to pursue perfection when God allows adversity to come in our lives. See, because adversity can sometimes hinder our pursuit and cause us to regress instead of progress. See, we run the risk of falling away from God during adversity instead of drawing near to him. Now, in this text that I'm going to read, this is the second time. Somebody said second time. The second time God allowed Satan to attack Job. The first time he attacked his character. And then the enemy came and attacked his property, kills many of his servants. And on top of that, a storm came while his children were having a good time, feasting, partying, and all the kids got killed. While they was at the oldest brother's house just having a good time. You know, you read chapter 1, Job always prayed for his children and offered up sacrifice for them because he knew they were still young and doing some things that probably wasn't right, but he always covered them. But in the midst of all that, when the storm came, his children got killed. Somebody say adversity. Now that's adversity. 
And so the question is that what are you going to do when you go through adversity? Where are you going to stand when you're going through? Are you going to still remember that you still have, the, you have an obligation to pursue perfection? Even in the midst of your going through. Now this second attack, Satan attacks Job's health. And we will see that in all the adversity that Job went through, he did not sin nor charge God with wrong. In other words, Job didn't put his mouth on God because he was going through. Even though it appears that God allowed him to go through. God and the devil knew what was going on, but Job didn't. Therefore, Job had to operate based upon what was on the inside of him, because he didn't have the whole picture of what was going on up in heaven. And sometimes when you don't have the whole picture of what's going on, you need to have something on the inside of you to say, in spite of what's going on, I'm going to operate in integrity. Because I don't have all the facts, I don't have all the details, I don't know. But I do know one thing, if I maintain a hold on to my integrity, that God's going to be pleased with me. And that he expect me to be a person of integrity even when I'm going. Y'all better hear me today. Look here, verse 1 in chapter 2 of Job says, I'm reading from the New Living Translation in, one, in verse 1 through 3. I just want you to see divine permission. It says, one day the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before the Lord. And the accuser, somebody say the accuser. The accuser. Satan came with them. Now, Satan got many names. The accuser of the brethren. You know, he's the tempter. You know, Beelzebub. But, you know, if, if the biblical facts are right, his name wasn't Satan when he was created. His name was Lucifer. And Lucifer meant just a bright star, a bright and morning star. His name got changed when he started cutting the food. Now look at this. He comes along with the heavenly court and stands before God. In other words, it looks like he just can't do what he want to do. Even though he say, I'm in the earth roaming, look here, he is a created being. So therefore, he cannot be greater than who created So he had the member up with the heavenly court. And whenever you got a kingdom, the people that's in your kingdom is part of your court. That's kind of like over in England right now, you know, the, the royal court. But the people in there, they call it the institution. But the institution is all a part of the court. And everybody in the institution got assignments. So it's the same way. These angels that was coming before God in his court because they get assignments from the one who run the court. It says, now, now, came again to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered, Lord, answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that goes on. Peter talks about him being a roaring lion, roaming the earth, 
seeking whom he made the vow. So he's saying, look, I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. I've been going down in the earth, and I'm roaming, trying to destroy some folk. That's my job. That's my assignment. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I've been watching everything that go on. So you think that the Lord watch you, it looks like the devil could be watching you too. And when he see you doing something that's leaning his way, he may be talking to you. Because <laughs> he's doing what he's supposed to. And once you do it, he come back and accuse you. Before the father. He been patrolling. Somebody say patrolling. Just because he patrolling, he ain't got to catch you. Amen. But if he do, you got to hold on to your integrity. He says, then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless. A com man complete of a complete integrity. Look at this. He fears God and strays away from evil. And he has maintained his integrity, even though you urged me to harm him without a cause. In other words, the last time he got attacked, when you attacked his character, he was a good man then. But then he's still maintaining his integrity, and then now you're back before me. And say, this time, now get this, is that the fact that the devil attacked Job the first time, he thought that maybe I need to up the ante because last time I ain't mess with him. See, as long as I'm messing with other folks around him or messing with his stuff, he seemed to be all right. But God, maybe he's just serving you in vain because you ain't never touched. You know, when other folk going through, you could be sympathetic with them and you pray all day long with them and all that. But that ain't happening to you. You go on by your business after the prayer's over. You know, let's be real. You know, after the 15, 20 minutes, y'all go on about y'all business. You listen in to somebody pray their heart out faith for 15, 20 minutes in the morning, in the evening. But after that, you go on and start eating again. Because it ain't happening to Things different when it's happening to I guarantee you those people that you're praying for on that line, when you finish praying, they're still going through something, and their mindset is not the same as... So, so, so the devil figured, hey, look, God, last time you just let me mess with his stuff, took his stuff so he wasn't in love with his stuff, then, you know, you let me mess with his family, then we mess with his servant, but guess what? You didn't let me touch... And God said, look here, say, you made me, you caused me to do that to a person who's walking upright in integrity. In integrity. Get this. Sometimes adversity come in your life not because you've been doing wrong. It can sometimes come when you're doing right. Job was doing right and adversity still came. And so what, what I'm trying to get you to see, sometimes when things are allowed to happen in your life, it is not because you've been committing sin or you've been doing wrong or living unrighteous. It's just because maybe you're getting a test to see what you're going to do 
in the midst of your adversary. He said, you urged me to harm him without a cause. Verse 4 through 6, I want you to see this in verse 4 through 6. I want you to see divine limitations. He says, now, Satan replied to the Lord, skin for skin. A man will give up everything he has to save his life. In other words, hey man, you didn't touch him last time. And unless you touch his skin for skin, he don't care the fact that he lost some cows, some goats, some sheep. He ain't feeling that. But, 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 but if you touch him, if you do something to his mind, if you do something to his body, his attitude going to change towards you. He ain't going to be the same guy he was the last time because last time you didn't touch him. He said skin for skin. A man will give up everything he has to save his life. So now get this. When Satan said that, you would think that God would say, well, you, you know, maybe I shouldn't put that test on Job. Maybe I should leave him alone. But you know what? I believe that test became because God, that test came because God knew he could pass it. See, I think of something in the natural. Melvin, if you my child and I know you, and I got your best interest at heart, even though I allow something to happen to you, if I know something's going to hurt you beyond your capability, I ain't putting that on you. Because I ain't going to put no more on you now. I know you're able to, to bear. And then when things come in your life, if you look to me, I'll give you a way to escape. I'll give you a way out. So I got to believe that from God's point of view, he knew Job's capacity. He knew what he could handle. So therefore, he allowed the devil to attack his health. Satan was high, skin for skin, and man would give everything he has to save his life. But reach out and take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. Look what God said. All right, do with him as you please. Here's the limitation. The Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. You can do anything you want to him, as long as you don't kill him. Because I believe that he's man enough and he got enough integrity that he can handle whatever you put on him, as long as you don't put death on him. And so what that lets me know is that the devil has limitations. And if I'm looking at this from the standpoint that I'm a child of God, then I believe he did that for Job. He'll do that for you. He's going to put limitation on that rascal. You may, you may go through some things, but you got to say he got a rope. He can't go for so far. I mean, he's like a dog on a leash. You know how long the leash is and how long it can go. You just mark off enough feet and stand there and let, let him keep up all the fuss he wants. And pray that God's going to let the leash hold him. That's all you got to do. Pray to God, God, let the leash hold him. I'm, I'm, I'm outside. I'm right outside the ark. I'm at, I'm at that ark of protection right here. He can't come no further than that. Right? They can keep all the noise he wants. He's just roaring and lying and rah, rah. Okay, okay, go ahead. Do what you want. God got the chain. Long God don't let loose that chain, I'm going to be all right. But some of us standing here with God's protection in our life, and we complaining and crying and whining and looking at the dog that's two feet away from a cane bite. Acting like he's all over us. And so what I'm trying to tell you, sometimes you got to understand, the enemy has limit. 
He has limitations. And when you understand that, it changed your attitude when you're doing warfare with him. Because you, you do warfare knowing that he's limiting what he can do to you and that as long as God on your side, he's more than the enemy against you. It spares life. And then 7 through 9, we see Satan's personal attack on Job. So Satan left the Lord's presence, verse 7, and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to feet. They said Job had some kind of awful, awful, awful skin disease. Some said it may have been leprosy, some may have said some other skin disease at that time. But whatever it was, it was painful, runny sores and all this, and Job was miserable. Job was so miserable that he scraped his skin with pieces of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. In other words, he was in a state of, of mourning and sorrow because of what he was going through. But he, he, in doing that time, he did what he could for himself. Even though he was in pain, and even though he was going through, he did what he could for himself. And as he did what he could for himself, you know, sometimes when you're doing what you can for yourself, folk around you may not be in agreement with you. Sometimes when you're trying to hold on to your integrity and do what God is calling you to do and live the way God wants you to live, there may be some people telling you, don't throw it in the towel. I don't know why. And now, I, I'm going to be kind to his wife. I'm going to be kind to her. Because after all, she lost some children in that first attack. And she probably lost some finances too. Because they took Job's stuff when he got robbed. So she could have been a little frustrated. You know, my status didn't change a little bit. You know, we, I was the top lady in town because you were the top man. We had it all. But now we don't came down a notch. I would give a little bit of this to her frustration. Out of frustration, she just told him something. But, but even if she was frustrated, she shouldn't have told the man to just curse God and die. As if Job had a big insurance policy on him. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know what she was thinking, but let me, let me just read this. But what I want you to see is here that the devil can use people around you to get to you. So he was just using her in the attack. She was part of his plan. Sometimes the biggest attack gonna come from folks in your family. Amen. And you got to understand that. And even when that happens, you got to do all that you can to hold on to your end. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Man, after all God done did to you, he treated you like you're the enemy and not a friend. After all he done did to you, you ought to just curse God and, and die. Man, I, I don't know why she said die. I mean, she, I, I would have gave a break if she just said curse God and, you know, call it a day. But she said curse God and don't you know if I die, you're going to be without me? I mean, I mean Job got to be laying down there. He perplexed. Let me be going through and watch him. Just go on, curse God. And but verse 10, Job's response, and we see his integrity in action. But Job said, you talk like a foolish woman. 
So obviously she offended Job. I mean, he didn't say, you know, it's okay, baby. <laughs> no, baby, you sound like a fool. Are you telling me to go die? <laughs> you, you sound like a... None of y'all would tell y'all husband just go and die. I know that. So y'all learn from Job. Like, don't do that. Amen. While your husband or your wife is fighting in integrity, you got to fight right there alongside them in integrity. So you talk like a foolish woman. And then this is powerful. This is one of the more powerful statements that Job made, other than the one that man is born of a woman but a few days and full of trouble. And, you know, I came into this world with nothing, and I'm going to leave with nothing. You know, then he come back and say, should we only accept good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? It's said by a man who's going through in response to his wife. So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. In other words, he didn't put his mouth on God in a negative way. And, 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 and I'm going to show you later, James said, man, if, if you can tame your tongue, you are a perfect person. Because he know that that was a good time for Job to just go off. I mean, God, you got me in this position to my kids. I love my servants. You know, God, what is wrong with you? I serve you every day. I was going to Sunday school, the men's group, every Sunday church, Wednesday Bible said, God, what is wrong with you? God, I've been doing everything to try to protect myself and do all this right, but why did you allow this to happen to him? It's sometimes easy for us to look at our life, and then when things don't go the way we want, to look and say, can God be the fault of this, instead of taking a whole assessment of our life and see what do we do to contribute to where we are? So when we are people of integrity, we know that God is still on our side and he's still loyal to us. Therefore, we must be loyal to him and walk in integrity even though we're going through adversity. If you read the rest of the chapter now, even though Job was walking in integrity, some friends came to him and got on his nerve. And after a while, he got tired of them. He said something, and then God had to check him. And said, Joe, where were you when I created this? So, so folks, friends can't get to you. Wife didn't get to him, but maybe his friends who were supposed to come and cheer him up. After several days that with him, they didn't cheer him up. They were bringing him. Joe got to a point, but I'm glad when you get to chapter 42. The Bible says, you know, Joe's fortune changed. In other words, he must have maintained his integrity to the point where God said, look here, I'm going to restore everything that he lost. Some people say he gave Job double for his trouble. Had kids that came back around, had twice as much stuff that he had before, and guess what? That wife was still there, and I wonder what she was telling to curse God now. <laughs> when the blessings are started. <laughs> let me move on. Let me move. Y'all go to Psalm, go to Psalm 101. My, this is the second turn. Psalms 101. Psalms 101. And I'm going to read verse 1 through 7, New Living Translation. In this Psalms here, we see King David express his devotion to the Lord. And during this time, David set the bar high for himself. 
In other words, David set a high standard that he was going to try to commit himself to live a blameless life and to be a person of integrity. He made it clear that in order to pursue perfection, there must be no separation between our personal life and his personal life and his official life, his private life and his public life. Now, we all know that David made mistakes and committed sin. This was written when he was taking over the kingdom, and the kingdom was all jacked up, and he was going to set some things in order. And Fabian, he set the bar high and said, look here, man, when I get in office, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do all these things, and I'm going to try to be perfect in everything that I do. He could have came in and said, okay, because Saul jacked things up, tried to kill me, the kingdom all divided and messed up, then look here, I'm going to just shoot for average. You know, if I just get average, that'll be good enough for God. But man, sometimes when you inherit a mess, you can't stay in the mess. You got to get above the mess. You, you know, I, I've heard people say, I, I didn't inherit a bad job, and, and anything I do is going to be better. That's true. But you got to do want to do more than just anything. You got to want to do something that's going to put you on the top. You got to do something that's going to take you up higher, not just to say, well, the last time they inspected came, you know, they got an unsat. Then as long as I just get a sat, we'll be all right. Well, sat ain't my goal, baby. I mean, they got outstanding and excellent out there. Why, why I got to just settle for sat? Because the last guy was on the bottom, and all I want to do is go up one step to get to satis. David said, look here, I'm taking over some mess, but I don't want to stay in the mess, and I want to go up higher. He set the bar high for himself. Now, because you set the bar high don't mean you're going to get there without some mistakes. And if you read David's story, you know he made some mistakes. But just because you're going to make mistakes, man, don't lower the bar. Don't settle for mediocrity. Now look at this. So David understood that, that he wanted to make sure that he tried to live blameless before God. Now look at this in verse 1 of Psalms 101. Verse 1 says, I was seen. Somebody say, I was seen. In other words, David said, now look, I'm going to incorporate praise into what I do. And I'm going to sing of your love and justice. I'm going to think about how much you love me, what you did for me, how you restored me to this place and put me in this place, in this kingdom, and then I know that you are just God, and because of that, I'm going to give you some praise. I'm going to start off my kingdom praising you, give you some praise. Some may even think that this may have been written when, you know, when David went and got the ark back, because it was so jacked up that, you know, the ark was gone, and David had to go to Obed-Edom's house and get the ark. And when David came back to town with the ark, y'all remember, he danced right out of his clothes because he was so glad to get the ark back. But what David is saying, look, God, I know that praise is important to you, and I'm going to make it a, my duty. In my kingdom, we're going to praise you. And so what we got to understand, praise is important to God. If you're going to pursue perfection, you got to pursue it praising you got to give God some praise. you got to give him the honor. you got to give him the glory that he deserves. He deserves your praise because he showed you his love. He said, I will sing, I will praise you with songs. Not a song, but with... 
You know, when we start off in the morning here and we try to pray with a couple songs, I know it's difficult without the praise team here. But man, if y'all got some songs out there that y'all know y'all want to sing and y'all don't need somebody to help y'all get there, just tell us. Because we want the first couple of minutes to give God some We don't want to turn this into watch Fabian or watch Adrian stand up here and watch the words on the screen and just praise team ain't here today so I, I, my praise didn't come with me. Ain't nobody up there with no mics in their hand. You got a tongue, don't you? Your hands still work, don't they? You don't need no praise team. You the praise team. You need to give God some glory. You need to give God some thanks. You need to let them know, God, I love you for what you've done for me. I give you the praise. Whether they got somebody up here singing or not, I brought my praise with me. Because praise is part of my perfecting process. I know I got to learn how to praise. Even if we don't have the orchestra and the praise team and the dancers and all that, you better learn how to praise them without them. Yeah, we're going to bring them back. We want them to come in. Don't get me wrong. But I'm trying to say, don't let them not be here, not being here, give you an excuse not to give God the praise, not to give him the glory, not to give him the honor that is due because he loved you enough to let Jesus die for you. That's enough to praise him. Hallelujah. David said, look here. I will praise you with songs. Songs. Not just one is good to have one, but you ought to have a couple of them, baby. A song for different occasions. God inhabits our praise, so therefore we got to learn how to do that even in the midst of going through. We got to still give him. David said to Baha, he said, look at verse 2. He says, I want you to see wisdom and integrity. He says, I will be careful, some of your Bible say I walk wisely, to live a blameless life. Then he comes and say, look, when will you come to help me? In other words, God, I done set the bar high, and I know in order for me to walk blameless before you, I need some help. But God already left us his word. We got help. Your help is right here. Your help is the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you. So when you set the bar high for yourself, all you need to do is start living your life in accordance with this word. And this word will help you achieve the things you're trying to achieve. You got the word. You got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. So then, therefore, don't lower the bar with the Spirit of God on the inside of you, man. How are you going to have the most powerful weapon that God left you, his word and his Holy Spirit, and then we lower the bar to subpar and below? And don't be afraid to ask the Holy Spirit to help you. My boy needed some help the other day. He should have said, help me. Don't let my son get the best of me in this situation. Lord, we done all been there. When someone to push you to that limit, that's when you need to call on the Spirit of God on your side. Lord, don't let me lose my integrity in this moment without asking you for something. 
Lord, I need your help. We done all been there. When you want to just say some stuff. Done been there. It's still on your database. What they call it, that hard drive? Yeah. You ain't erase your hard drive. Mm-hmm. It's still up there. It recorded when you used to say it when you was 18, 19, 20, 30, 40. When you said it, recorded it. And if you ain't careful, you'll go back to that spot where it was recorded and start playing it back. That's why somebody said, I need some help. God, if I'm going to live and strive for perfection, I got to get some. Look at this. David put the bar real high now. He says, now look, I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. Wow. He says, now, when I'm out in the court amongst the people that work for me and I'm the king, I'm expected to act right there. You know, because everybody see me. I'm expected to be kingly and act kingly and all that good stuff. You know, when y'all come to church, you expect to act right here. You don't come in here with cussing on your lips. Just let it roll off. <laughs> Even though it may be in the hard drive, you know how to control the hard drive while you're in here. Even when I was a heathen, I didn't just walk in the church and just let the hard drive play. I cut the hard drive off and say, when it get back, I get back outside. I turn it back on and know where to pick up. But when I was a heathen, I didn't come in God's house and just cuss folk. Because I, I understood how to act in church. And so people today still know how to act in church. The thing is, how do I act when I get out of church in my own? At church, I'm as meek as a lamb. But when I get home, I'm a roaring lion. And a lioness. David, y'all got that, didn't you? I, I tried to hit both of y'all, lion and lioness, because some of y'all lioness need to understand. You can't come to church and smile at hubby and get home and eat him up. Because when you do that, you're not operating it in. David said, man, I got to have integrity in my own house. My own home. Can't go home and just do anything. I got to act like I'm in the presence of the Lord when I'm at home. So there are certain things that just can't come through your eye gate and your ear gate when you're at I'm at home. It's my house. I do what I want. This is my kingdom. What's your kingdom, all right? But if you're a person of integrity, you're going to respect the one who put you in the house. I like this. I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. Man, it, 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 it's a travesty when we can get things right in church but can't get it right at home. We live, we live in a double life. When we can come to church and put the right face on and then we go home and put on another face. We can go to job and put on the right smile. And then when you come home, Act like you've been sucking on lemon all day. You know, <laughs> when you're at home, you're at the job, you're laughing, standing around, coughing, having a good time, and all that, then you get home. 
What's wrong with you? Wait a minute. What? You don't came home. You coming home to family. Where's your integrity? This is David setting the bar high for himself. And I hope that we will set the bar high for ourselves even when we are at Look at this. Let me move on. He says, because this is David talking. I know all y'all ain't going to agree with David, but, you know, he says, look, this, he get really right here. He said, look, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. Now, David said that before he saw Bathsheba. That was a good, that was a good aim, Latham. But then all of a sudden, he saw Bathsheba standing out there on top of the thing. He said, he, he didn't bring that to his, he didn't, he, so... So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he must have wrote this after he saw Bathsheba. I'm going to just give him the benefit of the doubt that the brother, he, he wrote this, you know, after Bathsheba, after he done seen her, you know, then all of a sudden now he said, I ain't going to look at nothing vile. Y'all go back and do the research and see when he wrote it. Look what he said. But let's not laugh at David because he says, I would not look at anything vile or vulgar. But what's on your TV? What's on your computer? Where do you, where do you go on the internet out there? Now, don't just think pornography when I talk about vile and vulgar right here. Some folks go to them dark sites out there, the folks ain't cussing and vile, they just got some weird ideas. So he's saying, look, if I'm going to be a person of integrity, I refuse to look at anything vile or vulgar. Now look at this. Jesus told his disciples that they need to have singleness of eye because he understood that if your eye be divided, then sin could get in. So therefore, when your eye is single, in other words, my integrity is intact, I'm going to regulate what comes through my eye gate because I know what comes through my eye gate can get in my spirit and cause me to... Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look on anything in a strange way. Sometimes we got to realize these eyes can get us in trouble. Amen. Man, the world would be a lot better place if all of us were blind. You can see some, some of the stuff that gives us trouble. I mean, you can see some of the stuff. I mean, we just... He says, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly. Hate, that's a strong word. He just had a strong dislike for people who deal, dealt crookedly. They couldn't be straight up with folk. I will have nothing to do with them. In other words, David said, I'm going to make a conscious decision who I hang around. I, I ain't going to hang around crooked folk. Amen. I will have nothing to do with them. And this is the part of walking in integrity that we don't like because we think God's trying to choose our friends. Well, he's just trying to tell you to choose your friends wisely. Everybody can't be your friend. You can't walk with everybody and walk with God at the same time. And I know sometimes in the natural, that's a tough pill for us to swallow because we got natural friendship that we like people and we hang out with them and all that. But you got to ask yourself the question, are they leading me in a way of integrity? Or are they leading me in a way that's caused me to be double-minded in everything that I... 
I know you don't want to, we don't want to mess with my, don't mess with my friend. We, we've been friends a long time, but where did that friend benefit you? Verse 4, he says, I will reject perverse ideas. That means that ideas that come in that deviate from what's right and good and morally pure. He said, I'm going to reject some ideas. Y'all can't entertain every idea that you get. You know, because even saved folk get ideas, that ain't godly. That's why the Bible says, Adrian, you got to take captive every thought that comes into your head and bring it into subjection. Because if you don't, that idea will come in, and before long, if you're not walking in integrity, you can entertain an idea that is not beneficial to your relationship with God. They say, I'm not going to entertain every idea. I'm going to reject perverse ideas, and I'm going to stay away from evil. Verse 5, he says, I will not tolerate people who slander that neighbor. I mean, you're going to talk about your friend like that in a negative way and slander that name, put it out there, then I ain't going to tolerate you. Now, David talking about the people that are going to be in his court. I will not endure conceit and pride. He said, now look, I realize that when people work in a court and they around the king all the time, they can allow their pride and arrogance to show up when they're dealing with people who don't work in the court. Because you come in the White House every day and you work around the president, then when you leave, you think you're better than everybody else because of where you work. David said, I ain't going to have folk like that working for me. That when they leave, they think they're better than the people that they're supposed to be serving. That they think they're better than the people that's in the kingdom, all because they're part of the royal court. And so he knew that that mindset, can, we can get to a level in our lives where we can be around certain people who we think they got clout and they got all these things going for them, and then we will try to flaunt that in front of people who don't have access. Man, you got to want to be around people that got a spirit of humility and understand that God will exalt the humble, but he will bring down the prideful. David said, I will not endure conceit and pride. I'm going to put up with it. At the end of verse 6, he said, now look, I will search for faithful people to be my companions. They ain't going to just major... He's saying, look here, they ain't going to just haul off and show up in my life and be my companion. I'm going to be searching for the folks that I want to be my friend. I ain't going to just stumble upon anybody. I'm going to search for the type of people that I want to be friends. Somebody may show up in my life, and I hope that God brought them there. But look here, if they don't think like the word and won't, don't want to do what's right, then guess what? There ain't going to be no companion. We ain't going to have nothing in common. Sometimes we're in relationship with folk that we really don't have much in common with if we say we love the Lord and we say. But I submit to you that if you are running with a group of people that you call your companions, y'all doing some of the same. Thing. 
And if those things is good, praise be to God. But if those things go contrary to God's word, then it's time for you to look at those. Come. I will search for faithful people to be my companion. Only those who are above reproach will be allowed to serve me. They say anybody just can't work in the kingdom. That's a certain standard. They got to have to work it. Now, this was his goal. This didn't mean that everybody in the kingdom was perfect, but this was his goal. His whole household, his own household was jacked up. A son killed another son who raped his half-sister. David's house was a mess. But even in the midst of that mess, David still must have had a relationship with God where he could get things right when things go awry. He says, I will not allow deceivers to serve in my house, and a liar will not stay in my presence. Good God Almighty, man, we, we can get rid of a whole lot of friends if we just get rid of the liars. You ain't got to try to get rid of everybody. Just start with the liars. Just say, Lord, just <laughs> let, let me get all the folk out of my life who just lie. Just lie. Just make up stuff. Just lie. We have made lying fashionable. Because nobody wants to say, well, it may not be a whole lie, little lie. They just, you know, because in, in political world, you can't say you lied. You have to say you misspoke. You know what I mean? I, mean, I misspoke. I misspoke on that point. Right? No, just say, I lied. <laughs> if you didn't tell the truth, you lied. But when I say misspeak, and that made people say, oh, okay, he, he get a pass. No, no, no. A lie is a lie. Now, we may want to work with situational ethics, but we lie based on the situation. But I don't find situational ethics in the Bible. David said, I'm going to get rid of the liars. And get this, David wrote this, said this, but later on, David write, God, keep me as the apple. A man who had a jacked up house, who had a jacked up family, had enough sense to come back and say, God, I'm going to repent. I'm going to give my life back to you. I'm going to write Psalm 51 and tell you I'm so sorry for Bathsheba. I'm sorry for all I've done. Now keep. Keep me as the apple of your eye. In other words, cherish me. Keep me as the very center of who you are. Keep me there, God, even though I have made mistakes. I want to get back on this road that leads to perfection. So keep me. So if David could get it right with God, surely we can get it right with God. If God will forgive David, clean him up, give, create in him a new heart, clean heart and a contrite spirit, then surely God can accept our repentance and our asking for forgiveness and our confession. Because God already knows as we strive and as we Pursue perfection. He know you're going to make a mistake. He know you're going to error. All you got to do is get it back. And integrity can cause you to get it back right. Last thing is, and I won't read this whole piece. I'm just going to read this thought. Proverbs 11, 
3, the A part of that verse says, the integrity of the upright guides them. So in other words, if I want to be a person of integrity, I got to believe that my integrity can guide my life. And as it guides my life, it can keep me on a path that is pleasing to God. So therefore, I must do all that I can. And it's hard sometimes to be a person of integrity. But the reason it's hard is because we don't always, and I don't always listen to the Holy Spirit. He's trying to keep us in that way of integrity. He's trying to keep us walking upright before God because he realized, and I told you all this before, that word integrity comes from a math word. Integer. I think I'm right. Some of y'all smart math people have to help me out right there. But it means that's something that can't be di divided. So therefore, God is saying, Brother Latham, when I walk in integrity, I can't have divided loyalty. I can't walk in integrity and serve the devil one day and then come back and serve God another day. God is saying when I walk in integrity and I let my integrity guide me, I'm going to walk in a way that he know I'm totally and wholly on his side. It ain't going to be no doubt in his mind who team I'm on because he's looking at my walk and he say he's walking in in He's not divided. He's not a double-minded man that's going to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and everything comes. Why? Because he's a man and she's a woman up in. Man, God value that so much because he know major that when you're a person of integrity, he know whose side you're going to be on. He, he know you ain't still wavering trying to make up your. Them days gone for some of us. We done leveled up now. The wavering day is gone when I had one foot in the church and one foot in the world trying to figure out what I'm Look, I don't figure this thing out now. Ain't no more one foot in the world and one foot in the church. I got both feet in the house of God, both feet in the kingdom of God. With both feet, I'm trying to serve the Lord. Because my integrity done kicked in. And when your integrity kick in, it's going to take you up another you're going to walk in a different way when you start walking in. And I hope y'all got that today, man. Integrity is an important part of our relationship with the Holy God. And our integrity got to be all the time, everywhere we are, in the public arena and in our homes. In our homes. That's why sometimes people say, you know, the folk you can fool outside, but you can't fool the folk you live with. Right. And you can come in here, laugh, and skin, and grin, and hug, and shake, and all that, and then your children sitting back there saying, who is that? <laughs> who, who is that? Who, who is that? Who is? Where did that person come from? And all they're trying to say, be the same person at home as you are in church. And your children will have no problem with you if you be that same person. Amen? Amen. Somebody say integrity. Yes. Job walked in integrity. David had to walk in integrity and believe that he could. We got to walk in integrity. Amen? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed.
Glory be to your name, God. Glory be to your name, God. We're living in a time now where so much of what we believe is under attack. And God, we need people who are going to walk in integrity. And God, as we walk in integrity, we want to influence those who don't know you, who, 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 who need to know and understand that, that we can be that example for them. We can be that pattern of integrity that will make someone want to give their life to the Lord. So my first appeal is for salvation. If you're online today or you're in the house and you're not saved, I just offer this appeal to you to give your life to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Remember what I said, you're going to start off at one place, but if you continue to grow, God will allow you to progress along this ladder of perfection, and you'll continue to please him, and he realized you're going to make mistakes. But don't let those mistakes keep you from accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Don't let the mistake keep you saying, oh, one day I'm going to get it right, and when I get it right, I guess I'll start giving my life to the Lord, I'll start going to church, I'll start doing the religious type thing. No, you ain't gonna, the devil ain't going to never let you get it right. Not on your own. That's what they say. I need help. You need help to get it right. And so therefore, we want to extend that arm of help today in the form of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and say, if you're that person, please give us a call here to church. Our number is being flashed on the screen, screen now uh, online, 850-862-83899. Just give us a call here to church. If you're in the house today and you're not saved, I want you to raise your hand. You're saying, I'm not saved, Pastor, and I want to give my life to the Lord. I see no hands raised, and my second appeal is for church membership. If you're here in the house and you want to be a member of Shine for Perfection Ministries, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. If you're online today and there's something about this ministry that has been a blessing to you and you want to be a partaker of that and be a part of what we do uh, in the community, even if you're living out of town, there's a way we can continue to fellowship with one another uh, if that is your desire. So please, please, please give us a call here to church. The number's there, 850-862-3899. Someone will answer your call. We'd love to have you as being a part of our, mem our membership. And we have several people who have taken us up on this, and, they, and we hear from them quite often, and we try to com communicate with them whenever we can. It's definitely when they give us a call and they need some things that we want to be there for them. And so we thank you online viewers, and if the Lord speak to your heart, we welcome you to be a part of this body. My third appeal is for a prayer. If you've got a prayer concern, I ask that you would just raise your hand at this time. And if you're online, I ask that you just make your request known to God, as well as we do here in the church. If you've got a prayer concern, please just raise your hand where you're seated. Hallelujah. 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 Then let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, we honor you and give you thanks on today. We thank you, God, for being an all-knowing and all-wise God, a God that we know that will not put any more on us than we are able to bear. And so therefore, God, right now, you know our hearts, you know our concerns, you know our cares. And so therefore, God, we come, we cast our cares on you because we know you care for us. God, I ask that you incline your ear down, listen to the hearts and minds of your people who are making their petition known unto you right now. Even those who are online, God, if they're making petition known unto you, God, hear their cry, hear their plea, and answer their prayer. And God, we believe that you're a faithful God, you're a good God, and you're going to answer in your own time. And we trust you to do that. And I ask God that even if they're going through adversity right now, whatever that adverse situation may be, God, I just pray that they will hold on to their integrity. Know that you still love them. Know that you did not forsake them. 
know that you will be right there to comfort and care for them. Let them not waver in their faith in the midst of adversity, but let them to continue to be strong and trust in you for all things. God, I thank you for what you're going to do, and I thank you for what you've already done. And God, we thank you for your word that went forth today. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And everybody say amen. amen. Say amen again.